So uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus 32, 1 through 6, and the title of this message is A Time of Testing. So um, when the, the Bible says, and I read out of the New King James, I just like that. I've been in it for a while. I like that. Every once in a while we might change, but for the time being, we're in the New King James. So when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us, for as this Moses... As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. You know, it's funny when, uh, when you, when, uh, my wife here, because I don't want to get in trouble. Whenever we're doing well, she says, oh, my, my honey bun, my love, you know, uh, Ricky, I love you so much. And then when she's not, when I'm out of favor with her, she says, that man. <laughs> isn't, that what, isn't that what's happening with Moses? Moses, you're off and brought us out of Egypt, and now we don't know what happened to that man, right? <laughs> the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we, don't know, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. So uh, when it's talking about play here, the connotation is uh, sexual promiscuity you know it's what they used to do whenever they used to uh, have idolatry and and were into idolatry so the background here God had sent Moses back into the land of Egypt after 40 years he had been in exile for 40 years uh, he was actually a political fugitive if they had got a hold of him they would have uh, put him on trial and killed him because he actually killed somebody while he was in the service of Pharaoh he was actually part of Pharaoh's family and uh, so God sent him back in order to fulfill the promise of God to Abraham that he would deliver them out of Egypt. And 430 years later, he did bring them up out of Egypt. And he was leading that whole nation of people back to the land of promise after a great miraculous exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the Egyptian army being drowned, the Israelites crossing on dry ground. Uh, Moses following the lead of God. Remember, there was a cloud by day, a fire by night. God was leading. Moses was an exceptional leader because of the simple fact that he would say, God, what are you doing? Whatever you're doing, I'm doing it. If you're staying, I'm staying. If you're going, I'm going. You lead, I follow. And really, isn't that what Jesus did? I say what I hear my father saying. I do what I see my father doing. So if Moses follows the lead of God and he brings them through the wilderness and they end up at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And here at the mountain, God made himself known in a greater way to the Israelites. Um, he, uh, his, they heard his voice. They saw the lightnings of God on the mountain. Um, God spoke to them and there they entered into a covenant with God to follow after him and to do his will. If you remember in Exodus 20, that's where God revealed to them the Ten Commandments. Uh, Charlton Heston came down. <laughs> no, it was Moses came down. This is the Ten Commandments. And so they got all of that. And then while they were there, uh, you know, they camped around. It just incredible victory, incredible time. And now they're hanging around the mountain. 
and while they're hanging around the mountain, God calls Moses up on the mountain. And uh, it's interesting, a little study that you do, you know, Moses was 80 years old at the time, maybe 81 by the time this is all done. And God calls him up to the mountain sometime between five and seven times. He goes up the mountain, God says, your people down there, uh, go back down. And I just got down, I just got here, what are you talking about? Doesn't say that in there, but I can imagine this is not like going upstairs. This is going up a mountain and then coming back down, right? So sometimes the things God asks you to do may not make sense, and they're not easy, and, and, and uh, not everything that God asks you to do is, is something that's going to be easy for you to do, but if God asks you to do something, he will give you the strength to do it. Even at 80 years old, Moses was able to do that. Well, finally, I believe it was around the sixth or seventh time, depending on how many times he went up, may have been the fifth time, uh, Moses is called up the mountain, and while he's up on the mountain, God is speaking to him. He's in communion with God. And just kind of a side note, uh, there's nowhere it says up on the mountain where it says there was food on the mountain, there was water on the mountain. Moses was just in the presence of God. I can't prove this. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible to teach this. Even though he was up there for 40 days, I don't believe that Moses knew that he was up there for 40 days. Um, I believe that when you're in the presence of God, you go into like this kind of uh, timeless zone because with God there is no time. He lives in eternity. And while he was up there, he could have been, he just got up there, came down, he's just conversing with God. All of a sudden he looks around and it's been 40 days and 40 nights. So how can you spend 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God without eating, without drinking, because you're in the presence of of the provider, you're in the presence of the of the one that that gives you everything you need, and in the presence of God and the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Uh, there's provision, everything that you need. The Spirit of God provides everything you need. I don't believe that he, Moses even aged while he was up there on the mount. I'm not saying that time didn't lapse. I'm just saying I believe that when you're in the presence of God and God's glory is in in your midst. It's, uh, uh, the Bible says in Romans 8, he said, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, for that spirit dwells in you. One of the things John G. Lake used to pray, so let the life of God come into this diseased area, into these diseased uh, uh, cells, into these bones that are, that are dying. Let the life of God and the fire of God and the life of God would go into it and bring life into it. Anyway, Moses was up there. So the Bible says in Exodus 32, 1 through 6, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, because he was up there almost 40 days, 40 nights, they gathered together around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. Um, as for this man Moses, we don't know what happened to him. So while he's there, uh, while they're here and Moses is there, the people uh, decide, hey, this is unacceptable to us. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what happened to Moses. And what I want to bring out, in this message is that while God and Moses were communing together, the Israelites and Aaron were experiencing what the people would categorize as an absence of leadership and an absence of the presence of God. They were focusing on the fact that Moses had been gone so long, but by the urging of Aaron to make other gods that they could see, they were also commenting on the absence of God's presence before them in their midst. At first, when I was thinking about this, and I, 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 I did some highlights to this, I was focused on the people and their response. Actually, the title of, uh, of this point is Aaron at the Mountain. I actually had titled it The People of God 
out the mountain. But the more I thought about it, uh, the more I really think this is it's not as much about the people, although it is about the people, as, as much as it is about Aaron. Now, um, God gave Aaron and the people his will. He revealed to them his law. What does it say in the, in the word of God? It says in the word of God, I am the Lord thy God. Uh, uh, you know, it says, uh, thou shalt not make any, uh, him only shalt thou serve. Uh, thou shalt not make any graven images. In other words, don't make any idols. God was very clear about that. First two of the Ten Commandments, right? So God gave Aaron and the people his will. And then it almost seemed like God said, Moses, come up here. It almost seemed like God stepped aside to see what they were going to do, right? And, you know, I just, you know, sometimes you read through there and you kind of think, well, this is just how it happened. This is just the narration. This is how things were going. But as I'm reading through this, I'm beginning to see a pattern that there are times when God equips you with what you need and then he steps back to see what you're going to do. He teaches you, prepares you, and then he gives you a test. Not a temptation, but he lets you go through a test, and you know what happens in a test? You, you, you determine whether or not you got the material or not, right? So God sends Moses up the mountain. He's up there with, with God, talking to God, and while he's up there talking with God, uh, Aaron um, is down there with the people, and Aaron, it, the people come to Aaron, and Aaron was tempted to violate the express commands of God, but they didn't come, the temptation didn't come in the form of a serpent, which we'll see later with Adam. The temptation with Adam and Eve came in the form of a serpent, but in this particular case, it came in the form of the people. You say, wait a minute, people aren't ser serpents. They're not, but you know that people can also be used by the enemy, right? You're going along pretty good, serving the Lord, and all of a sudden you're, you're lonely at home, and somebody calls you up and says, hey, man, uh, let's go to the club. Or let's go over here. And you're like, well, I would never do that before, but you're so lonely, you're so discouraged. They call you up, and you, all of a sudden it feels pretty good. And, you know, they're a friend. They want your best. You don't have to drink. You don't have to do all this kind of stuff. We just, you know, let's just hang out together. And you think that's a good thing. And the next thing you know, at the end of the night, you've done things you don't even want to think about. Right? What you didn't realize is that friend, we're not saying they're an enemy, but they're in some ways being used by the enemy to offer temptation to you. And you say, well, that can never happen. It, didn't the same thing happen with Peter? Jesus tells Peter what the will of the Lord is. That, you know, once he reveals he's the Messiah, and he says, I'm going, uh, uh, you know, uh, I came here to do the Father's will. I'm the Messiah of the Lord, but this is what's going to happen. The Messiah is going to go to a cross. It's going to be uh, crucified. And Peter comes and says, no way. That's never going to happen to you. And what does Jesus turn to him? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? Because what's in your mind is not in the interest of God, but it's in the interest of man. Your mind is full of man's interests, and man's interests are not God's interests. They're actually the enemy's interests. So anyway, Aaron is sitting there uh, oh, in charge of the congregation in a position of responsibility, and all of a sudden the people come up and they say, we don't know what happened to Moses. We don't know, uh, uh, you know even what's happening with God. All we know is that we don't know if he's ever coming back. What we need you to do is we need you to make us gods that'll go before us and so Aaron at that particular time is in a test now one of the things I want you to realize is that God 
will and what we're going to see through here. And the reason I'm sharing this with you tonight is so that you'll understand sometimes when things are going really good, you think, this is great, God, you're, you're downloading so much, so much is coming my way, all this is a wonderful thing, and then all of a sudden it seems like something shifts and something changed, and you think God's left you and God doesn't care about you, and you know what happened, I was feeling so good, what you may not realize is that God may have just stepped back, he didn't leave you, he's not forsaken you, but he may have stepped back so that you can implement what he's taught you. He's going to give you the opportunity to implement what he's taught you. And in this particular case, that's what Aaron had the opportunity to do. And if he was the leader, if Moses was on the scene, what would Moses have done? No way, Jose. Right? He said, this is what the word of God says. The word of God that he just revealed to us. He said, only the Lord shall you serve. You shall not have any graven images. I don't care what you guys want to do. God, if we do, Don't you see? And this is what I want you to realize is that God was still present all around them. If they look around, the fire by, by night, the cloud by day, the lightnings on the mountain, all of that was still happening. Manna every morning. God's presence wasn't absent. I mean, God's presence was not uh, not there. It just wasn't visible before them. And sometimes when, you, when you're going through a difficulty, you think, God, where are you? But if you had eyes to see and you really looked back and you weren't going through the, through, the, through, through the temptation and the battle, you could see that God was with you all around you. Reminds me of that, that, uh, that poem, Footprints, right? Where were you, God? You know, he's looking at the sand, and he sees that both of them are walking together. He looks back, he sees, and there was a time when all of a sudden there was only one set of footprints, and the thought that came into his mind is, why, God, did you abandon me during that time? That's only my set of footprints. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, no, during that time of difficulty, that was not your footprints. Those were mine. I was carrying you. Right? But it's amazing how we have the tendency to jump to the conclusion that God's not there, God doesn't care. But God is there. You just have to have eyes to see everywhere where he's at. And so God was there, present. God was in their midst, but Aaron bit the apple. He took the temptation. And when Moses comes back down, he said, what in the world caused you to do this? He said, well, we just uh, got everybody's jewelry, threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Like, hello. No. You know, he messed up. He, he, he failed the test. And as a result... Instead of the blessing of God being released into the camp, death was released into the camp. My point is that it seems to me that times of testing are a normal way of operation in the ways of God. Psalms 103 verse 7, the Israelites uh, saw the acts of God, but Moses learned the ways of God. I'm teaching you this so that you'll get into your mind that like students in a classroom, every once in a while, we're going to go through a test. But if you know that there are times when you're going to go through a test, it seems to me like you can have a better chance of overcoming what's coming your way if you know that this is a test, but the tests that God gives you are not for you to fail, they're for you to succeed. You hearing what I'm saying? Unlike with Aaron, however, as I said before, God's will is not that we fail, but that we overcome. In the Garden of Eden, that's my second point, we're going to look at Adam and Eve in the Garden. Uh, I would have normally started here because it's backwards in time, but we started with Moses, and let's just go back to Adam and Eve. 
And the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, 1 through 7, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This testing, of course, was first witnessed, as we saw with Aaron at the bottom of the mountain, was first witnessed by Adam and Eve. Instead of calling it a temptation, though, let's use the word test, okay? Because when you go to school, as I said before, you're given information, and then you're given the opportunity to show how well you grasp the information. No teacher in school gives you a test to fail you. I'm not saying there can't be some, some teachers out there that, that may not do that, but for the most part, tests are not designed to fail you. Tests are designed to show where you're at so that they can reinforce what you don't know or to recognize that you do know it, and if you do know it, it's time to move on right so when you go to school you're given information you're given the opportunity to show how well you grasp the information and the way that happens is through means of a test so God is not tempting his people when we go through things but he is testing them by allowing them the opportunity to exercise what they've learned with Aaron it was a test that he was set up to succeed as I said before the fire by night and the cloud by day was still there the manna was still there God's word had been clearly revealed to them yet they did not stand on it you might say in a way that it was an open book test right not only are you able you know the information but you can go the information is right there it's not you can't hide you can't use your Bible you can't No, it's all right there it's an open book test I, I, I had a friend of mine just got through taking a credentialing test at the district office and uh, he said he had one of these tests where he was allowed to bring uh, you can't put in, a, in a, a sheet of paper in there but you can write everything you can write the 16 fundamental truths you can write all that in your Bible it's allowed right how do you fail a test when you can have all the information with you they want you to pass the test. They don't want you not to pass. They want you to pass the test. Just do the work, put it in there, know where it's at, reference it, and you can win. And that's the same thing that God wants for us. He gives us everything that we need. It's not a closed book test. When you're going through a difficulty, think to yourself, I wonder if I'm going through a test. What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God teach? What, is God, what did Jesus do? What were we supposed to do? Let's go over here and let's read. Oh, what's the promise that God has given me? What is the will of God for my life? And like I said before, instead of confessing the problem, confess the victory. Confess the promise. Confess the Word. Are you hearing what I'm saying? With Adam, God had clearly revealed his word to Adam. And now Adam only had one word. Only one. So it's not like, what was that again? You know, you say so much, God. No, it was one. The Lord God put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord commanded him, Genesis 2, 15 through 17, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That's his, that was the word. That was the only command that God gave Adam. Don't eat of that tree. You can do anything else. You can eat anything else. Just don't eat of that tree. The day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Now, Adam, I want you to know, everything is favored. Everything is in Adam's favor. Adam is created without sin. Everything at this particular time was good. There was, sin had not been unleashed in the planet. Uh, God walked with Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden, right? Uh, God, then all of a sudden, Eve is brought to Adam, and God says, okay, I've given you everything you need, and then all of a sudden, it's like he steps back. And when he steps back, what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Here comes a serpent, right? God then left Adam and Eve alone to be tested. They weren't being tested to fail, but they were given the opportunity to succeed. Yet when it came time... Uh, and they were taking the test, Adam, now Eve was with him, and the serpent was talking to Eve, but it really wasn't about Eve, it was about Adam. Adam was the one that God created as a steward. Eve was his helpmate. She wasn't lesser than him, she was co- uh, uh, She walked with him, she came out of his side, but the one that had the authority was Adam. Right? So, when Adam, and this is about Adam, then they, they, when it came time to take the test, Adam chose to take the temptation. The Bible does say Eve was deceived, but it never said Adam was deceived. Adam did it. He knew what he was doing, and he took the fruit. What should he have done? Well, here's what God had told him to do. God had said uh, that, that he put him in the garden, just as we read, to tend it, to cultivate it and to keep it. That word keep in the Hebrew, and Adam would have known what this meant, it meant to keep watch over. To keep watch over what? From something coming in that wasn't supposed to be there. It was Adam's job to protect Eve and the garden. So what should Adam have done? Adam should have said, get out of here, serpent. This is what the word of God says. The word of God says that I'm not supposed to eat from that tree because the day I eat of it, I shall surely die. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how, how, how tempting it is. This is what God's word said. So in the name of the Lord God I serve, get out of here. But he didn't do that. He could have easily passed the test, but he didn't do that. And so what ended up happening? He bit, and when he bit from that, and he took, partook of that temptation, instead of allowing life, because he could have eaten from the tree of life, the rest of life, instead of allowing that to permeate him and the whole human race, it released the opposite, right? The wages of sin is death, right? So Adam chose to violate God's word, and he faced the consequences, which was death instead of life. The reason for this is that when Adam chose and when we choose to violate God's word, we choose to ally ourselves with the enemy of God, which is the devil, and in so doing, we loose into our lives what he brings, which is death and destruction. John 10 and 10. The thief come, does not come except to steal kill and destroy i have come jesus said that you may have life and life more abundantly very simple do the will of god life and life more abundantly. doesn't mean you won't have problems doesn't mean you won't have struggles doesn't mean there's not an enemy but in god we overcome 
you're going to be in a fight, but in God you win. Right? Jesus most perfectly illustrates what this test is like when he came on the planet. As the Son of God, he was perfectly aware of the situation he had come to remedy, the separation of man from God. As the Son of Man, he would uh, accomplish his goal of reconciling humanity with God by overcoming the enemy of the people of God, not only sin, but overcoming the devil and his hold over sin. And how he did so was by keeping his eyes on the prize keeping his eyes on his Father and what his God was saying, what the Word of God says. He was the Word of God made flesh and obeying God's Word. Jesus in the wilderness is the third point. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Jesus was led up, and by the way, remember I'm telling you, sometimes it wasn't just for the Lord, sometimes for us, we get the opportunity, and I know that doesn't sound right to you, but it is an opportunity to take tests. It really depends on how you look at tests. You see, some people, they don't like tests because they don't do well in tests. But my daughter and myself, I like tests because tests have always been good to me. Right? And you know, tests can be good for you too if you just learn the material. The problem is, we want to take the test without learning the material. Well, the pastor didn't preach on that, so I don't know, right? Well, you know, if you're, it's good that you go to church and the pastor preaches on something, but more often than not, people come to church once a month and expect to hear everything the pastor preaches. Well, you're not going to hear everything the pastor preaches once a month. Or people come to church once a week, you know, and they hear everything the pastor preaches, but the pastor's not going to preach through the whole Bible once a week the whole time that you're there. And, in fact, I've had some people say, you preach on the same thing every week. Well, there's only so many themes in the Bible to preach on. There's different passages, but you're preaching on the same themes. Your faith, overcoming temptation, uh, 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 redemption, uh, healing. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's only so many things to preach on. But the different passages all reinforce these themes, right? So where am I supposed to get it? What does it say in uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 50? Sow yourself approved. How does it go? All right, now start. I gotta, I gotta get it from the beginning. I heard the say, "Study to show thyself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, uh, uh, rightly dividing something like that, rightly dividing the word of truth." In other words, study to show yourself approved. Right. Well, I'm not a studier. Well, then listen to the word of God. If you're not a, 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 a visual learner, you're not a reader. Then you can be. You're probably an auditory learner. Right. If you're not a visual learner, auditory learner, then you're probably not even alive. <laughs> right? If you're alive, you learn. Right? Because if you didn't learn, you'd be locked up somewhere. Everybody has to learn. Now, some people don't learn as fast as others, but everybody has the potential to learn. Now, I understand the exceptions. But for the most part, normal people have the opportunity to learn. We can learn stuff. We can grow. We wouldn't have a job if we couldn't learn stuff, right? 
We weren't able to function and we couldn't learn things. So you can learn the Word of God. The thing is that in order to learn the Word of God, it has to be a priority for you. Right? Seek ye first Netflix. Seek ye first YouTube. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is the kingdom of God and his righteousness? You'll find it here. Right? Or if you come to the class we're having a couple of weeks, you'll find it there. Saturdays. I think it starts at 9. Sign up. Be great for you to be there. Anyway, so Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil into a test. He's not being led to fail. He's being led to succeed. Right? You can't win a battle if you never go into battle. You hear what I'm saying? We, battles aren't something to be feared. Battles are something that we're going to go into. We might as well go into it with the idea that we're going to win. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards and hungry. When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written. Where is he saying? When it is written, where is he getting that from? Scripture. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Where you find where it is written? Where you find that? In the word of God. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, uh, it is, uh, uh, um, and, uh, for it is written. Okay, Jesus said to him, where did I miss? For it is written. Okay, I must have. I must, uh, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. All right. Again, the devil. Okay, so in the, I got it. I got it. The enemy... The enemy is saying, this is what the Word of God says. And sometimes the enemy can use the Word of God against you. Right? Right? Didn't the Bible say this? Doesn't the Bible say that? But he takes it out of context. Right? You've got to know the whole counsel of the Word of God. That's what he's doing. He's trying to use the Word of God against Jesus. So it's not just the Word of God. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God together where you have power. What is the Spirit of God saying to me? Remember, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He knew the Word of God because he was the Word of God, but the Spirit of God revealed to him, Thou shalt not, what does it say here? Tempt the Lord your God. And it says in another, in another uh, version, Him only shalt thou serve. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Away from me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then what happened? The devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Don't, doesn't it say in James 4 and 7, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, here's what happens. First of all, we don't always submit ourselves to God. Then it say, Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. You've got to know what the perfect will of God is to submit yourself to God. You, in order to submit yourself to God, you've got to submit yourself to his word. Right? To the one that hears my word and does it, I will liken him to a man who built his house on a rock. Right? So you've got to know the word of God, and then you've got to live the word of God. Submit yourself to God, 
and then resist the devil. Why do we think that if Jesus had to resist three times that we're only going to have to resist once? You hear what I'm saying? And listen, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm the point man of this church, not this big church, you know, anything like that. But as a, the higher you go in responsibility, the more you can expect that the enemy is going to mess with you. It just happens that way. But he doesn't mess with you, you know, in the sense that uh, you need, you, okay, I don't want him to mess with me. Well, you know, he's going to mess with you. Where, wherever you're at, but if you, so I don't want responsibility because he's going to mess with me. Well, no, the thing is, is that, that if you have greater responsibility, yes, you're going to have more attacks, but you also have greater levels of protection. Right? As you go up in responsibility in the natural realm, if you're a, a mayor or you become a governor and you become the president of the United States, guess what? The higher you go, the more protection you get. So you don't have to fear that. But here's the thing, that no matter where you're at, you always know that if you're submitted to God and his word, like Jesus, when the enemy comes at you, the way that you overcome, the way that you pass the test is to quote the word of God. What is the will of God? What is the word of God? And speak to the enemy and say, this is the will of God. And then eventually say, go. Right? Now, I'm not opposed to counselors. I'm not opposed to getting, uh, the Bible says in the multiplication of counselors, there is wisdom. But some people, all they want is people to counsel them when they're feeling bad. That's all they want. There's nothing wrong with it. But at some point, you need to take the word of God that God is giving you, and you need to take it and use it like a sword and stop using it on yourself and stop using it on the people around you, but use it on the enemy. This is what the Word of God says. You keep attacking me. Some of you find you get attacked in certain areas. Some of you get depressed. Some of you get discouraged. Some of you get uh, you feel defeated. You know, whatever. However, He attacks you. What is the Scripture that God would give to you? Ask the Lord. What can I use? Find the Scripture and then stop just sitting there, letting the enemy harass you. But take that sword. Realize that God has equipped you, and instead of biting the, the or, you know, in that sense, succumbing to the temptation that comes at you all the time, take a stand and say, no. I'm not going to do that. It's not the will of God for my life. God's will is that I overcome. God's will is that I'm victorious. And the way I'm going to do that is by taking up my, the shield of faith, taking up the sword of the Spirit, and by using it, and in the name of Jesus, it is written. Get thee behind me. And listen, when you first start doing that, you may find whatever you're struggling with. Some people, you know, we come out of stuff. We're not perfect when we get saved. We all have stuff that we were delivered from. We all have stuff that we're being delivered from. As you begin to get God's will on your life, you begin to get the promises of God, and the enemy is, has had a field day with you for most of your life and all of a sudden you begin to realize that God wants you free but in order to experience the freedom you're going to have to fight you need to realize that at the beginning process of this you're going to have to fight consistently I've had the opportunity to counsel people that, 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 that have struggled with drugs over a period of time and, and, uh, and one of the things that I tell them I said what does the word of God say and then what do you need to do? A lot of times what you need to realize is drugs is the fruit, not the root. 
Why do people do drugs? Because they're hurting. Because they're in pain. So what's the root? Sometimes the root is feel rejection, feel hopeless, feel helpless. I feel uh, like I'm not good enough. Right? So the fruit is in order to cover up my pain, I do drugs, I drink, sexual promiscuity, all these kind of, these are things that I've done all my life because the root has never been dealt with. Right? So God begins to help you in these areas of your life. He begins to help you, and you begin to realize that God wants to give you victory, and he gives you keys, he gives you the word of God, he gives you uh, an understanding, and all of a sudden the enemy comes. The enemy doesn't come for you to fail, the enemy comes for you to succeed, but what you need to realize is that when you first begin to fight, you may have to fight that same battle every couple of seconds. Literally. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get thee behind me. Whew, I have some peace. Three seconds later, I rebuke you. You know, if you're dealing with your thoughts, you're battling with it, I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. You're not allowed because sometimes we think it's us. No, it's the enemy. In the name of Jesus, I command you to go. Oh, I feel five seconds later, here it comes again. Man, how often am I going to have to do that? That's not the point. The point is you do it until you begin to get freedom. It's like that. Remember that opportunity I, I told you when somebody, it was, to me it was an opportunity, uh, uh, and somebody called me up and they said, hey, we need to find out where your brother is. And I said, well, I'm not telling you where my brother is. Well, you know, we have the right to call you every day until you give us the information we want. I said, great, I can hang up on you every day. I looked at it as an opportunity. They thought they were threatened with, threatening me. But the reality is like, all right, I get to hang up on you every day. Yeah, they never called me back. You understand? It's an opportunity, every time you go through the battle, it's an opportunity to exercise the word of God, to exercise the authority you've been given, and every time you do that, there's another defeat in the, uh, against the enemy and in, in another victory for the kingdom of God. You need to look at it that way, right? But what's going to happen is that the enemy, and it reminds me of that little story that you told about that angel and flicking that little thing and keeps coming back, flicking that little thing, and keeps coming back and flicking that little thing, and that ant just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. Well, eventually, we don't know how long it's going to be, but eventually it gets tired, doesn't come back as often, and all of a sudden he's like, I, I got no chance here, and he doesn't come back very much at all. We need to understand that. Submit yourself to God, resist, and keep on resisting, and eventually, he will flee from you. So Jesus was led up by the Spirit. You know, just as Adam and Aaron, Jesus too was going to be taking a test. He was the Word of God. He was filled with the Spirit of God. He was led to the testing site, the desert. Here, unlike Adam and Aaron, though, he passed the test. And instead of releasing death, he released life. Healing and delivering all who came to him. He would pass the test over and over again, but he would take the ultimate final at the cross. And he passed that test as well. And because of that, he released grace and life everlasting, and we get to experience the fruit of that victory, every one of us, when we come into Christ and we understand what it is that he did for us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but we in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now listen, one of the things, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but I, I think it'll fit. One of the things uh, I've been praying for is I've been praying for healing in, in, in my back. And I struggle a lot because, um, you know, it's, it's, that's an, uh, I'm better, I'm better. 
well, I guess I'm not. I'm better. I'm better. I'm believing God. I'm standing on God. I, I, I just went through another time about a month and a half ago when it kind of went out on me. And the first thing I said was, why, God? I'm thinking about, why can't I get my healing? What's going on? But then I, then I caught myself and I said, Lord, I'm grateful. I'm so thankful that I'm your child. I'm thankful for your promises. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I will experience the goodness of God. I will. And I began to just focus it back in right? Well, why is it taking so long? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. I don't know why Abraham had to walk 25 years. I don't know why other people can get a healing right away, and I can't. I do know that God gave me a, 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 a little bit of light one time when I was praying about it, and I, and I felt like he gave me another way of looking at it. He said, Rick, you are digging a well. He said, and when you finish digging the well, it's not only going to be a well that you drink from, but it's going to be a well that everyone can come and drink from. In other words, your breakthrough is not just going to be for you. It's going to be for everyone else that recognizes what I'm doing and comes and drink from that well. Okay, so the reason I say that is because one of the things that I do when I take, I take communion in the morning, because I'm just standing on the Word of God, I'm believing on the Word. I don't always feel good. I'm just telling you. I don't always feel good. I'm, uh, I struggle. Uh, sometimes my, my quiet times with the Lord are some of the greatest times that I have, but there's also some of the toughest times that I have because there's like a little imp right there messing with me the whole time. Right? And I began to have a little, uh, 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 began to feel a little bit better about it whenever Martin Luther, he wrote something. He said, okay, devil, I'm going to sleep right now. This is going to have to wait till tomorrow. And I began to realize other people go through that as well. Right? whole time i rebuke you i'm taking authority over you but at the same time experiencing the grace of god the mercy of god you know because it's it's just that's just the christian life well that's not what i thought i'm just trying to be real with you you win you overcome but it's a fight just the way it is so anyway i'm taking communion because one of the things i i I began to realize i want to i want to have a point of contact a visible way for me to say lord i am standing on your promises and so I take communion every morning. And one of the things I started doing is when I take communion, I say, Lord, I am so grateful. And I, every time I think about it, just, they said, you saved me. You saved me. And that word salvation means salvation, deliverance, victory, healing, but ultimately means wholeness. Right? And I'm so grateful that you saved me. I am saved and I am being saved. Right? I am, uh, obviously I'm in right relationship with God, but I'm, I'm whole and I'm being made whole. It's my, every area of my life. But I also take that scripture where uh, uh, the jailer came to Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your whole household shall be saved. And when I take that word household, whether, whether it's biblical or not, in the sense that you can exegete it that way, I don't know. But for me, it's kind of like Abraham's household, David's household, the house of David expanded many generations. And I say, Lord, I take this promise that you gave to the jailer and I make it my own. And when I am fighting for a victory and I'm standing for a victory and I'm believing God, all the promises of God, they're not just for me, but they're for my children and my children's children and all the generations that come after that. Every victory that I get is theirs as well. In Christ. 
So I'm saved, and I'm so grateful, Lord, whether I see it or not, that my children are saved. And whether I have them or not, my grandchildren are saved. Everyone that comes, because they come from my loins and they're part of my household. I believe it, God, and I stand on it. And how could God, who hears and communes and listens to our prayer, how could it not happen? Because God is able and willing and capable. And I believe that one day when I stand in the presence of God and all of history is summed up, I believe that my children, my great-grandchildren, all of them will stand in the presence of God because maybe not just me, but they'll say, Lord will look and say, you prayed for this, Rick. You prayed for this. And I heard your prayer. And I'll fall on my knees and say, God, I didn't do this. You did it. You gave me the promise. You gave me the victory. You gave me the faith. And I'm so grateful. What I'm trying to say is that when you get a victory, whatever you're going through, that victory is not just for you. It releases life. I'm tired of releasing death. I want to release life. I want to release life. How do you do that? Know the will of God. Live the will of God right? We know it in the natural, right? If you, uh, if you mess up, and your family's broken because of your sin or whatever the case may be, you know it affects the children and it affects their children. That's just in the natural. What makes you think it doesn't happen in the spiritual realm as well? But on the other side of the coin, you, 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 you remain faithful, you, you do what you need to do, you love your family. Yes, you go through difficulties, but you do the right thing, you teach them in the way of the Lord, right? In the end, you release life. You release the blessings of God, the promises of God. Same as in the natural realm, it happens in the spiritual realm. Fight. Win. In Christ, you do win. Okay, another one, disciples on the sea, Luke 8, 22 through 25. I, I can stop now if you want. You want me to stop? You want me to keep going? Yeah, you want me to keep going? All right, I'll keep going. Everybody else is like, do we get to vote? No. <laughs> Luke 8, 22, 8, 22 to 25. It happened on a certain day that he got into a boat, Jesus, with his disciples, and he said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now, I want you to notice in every one of these situations, something fantastic had just happened. The Israelites, uh, they just came out of the, uh, Egypt. God had done an incredible victory. Adam just has experienced wonderful creation, his wife, you know, uh, uh, with uh, Jesus. He just got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he was led into the wilderness. In this particular case, I think that he had just multiplied the loaves and the fish, an incredible miracle. And then what happens? It happened on a certain day. He got into a boat, and they said to him, let's cross over to the other side. By the way, that is a command. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. If you look it up in the Greek, it is in the uh, 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 imperative voice. Let's go over to the other side, right? And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. Who fell asleep? Jesus. Who is Jesus? God. He's in the boat, but he's asleep. What's happening? They're, in, they're about to take a test, right? And what happens? A windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy, and they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And what happened? He arose, rebuked the wind, the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? 
and they were afraid. He marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. While with Jesus, the disciples found themselves in a similar kind of situation. They were going to be tested. Jesus had up to now shown them his authority, his power, shown them how he did things. Jesus had issued a command. They were to go to the other side of the lake. As they journeyed, he fell asleep on the cushion at the back of the boat. Can you see that, like with Adam, like with Aaron, God is present. He's even visible to the disciples, but for a short period, his presence would be unfelt. Why? Testing time. Hopefully we're aware that when we test in school, the teacher is not absent. They are present, but they stand aside watching you. They don't intervene. They don't, if, you try, if you try to get them to intervene, they say, sit down. You finish taking that test. I can't help you right now. After you're done, I'll help you. But right now, I can't help you. They stand aside watching to see what you will choose and how you will do during this time of testing. Jesus was asleep. The storm and the sea began to rage. The disciples were convinced that they were going to die, but chose to wake up uh, the Lord, who upon seeing the storm spoke peace to it, and then rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith. And they came to him, saying, Master, Master, we were perishing. And he said, Why are you afraid? What they had not learned yet was that as the Lord was doing, so too were they to do. He was not just their God. He was their example. He was not just the Messiah. He was teaching them how to live the overcoming, victorious Christian kingdom life. John 14 and 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. So that brings us to our last point, you and I today. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation, no test has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you're able, but with the test will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And the context is overcome. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No temptation is also to me no testing. What I want to get across to you is that we too in the Christian life will be tested. We're not tested to fail, but, but we're given an opportunity to show what we have learned. When you first start a class, it helps to know that throughout the term, you're going to have to face a certain amount of tests. When I went to, um, I don't know if they do it in high school, um, but when I was in high school, when they didn't give us syllabuses and told us this is what we're going to learn, you know, I mean, the teacher would tell us, but I, they didn't always tell us how many tests we were going to have. But when I got to college, uh, particularly when I got to seminary, they would say, this is the outline of the course. You're going to have four tests. Three of them are weighted this way. One of them was weighted this way. Or you're going to have five papers. They're all going to be due, blah, 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 blah. You would know beforehand what you're going to be facing. And somehow knowing beforehand what you're going to be facing for me, uh, even though it seemed like it was a little bit daunting at the time, at least for me, I knew what was ahead of me. It prepared me for what was coming, right? And the reason I'm teaching you this tonight is because I feel like the Lord wanted me to. I'm not that smart. You know, this is what you need. No, I feel like the Lord put this on my, on my heart. But as I was writing this, I began to realize one of the things I want you to take away from this is the reason I'm teaching you that there, as Christians we're going to be facing tests is so that when it comes, you won't be surprised. You'll know. And you also know now, as we go through this, you know that God's desire for you is to overcome. And you also know how to do it. Right? 
These are to help you put into practice what you've learned. James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces fruit. What's the fruit? Patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking nothing. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the walls of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You are going to be tested, but... Do what God, put on the whole armor of God, take up the shield of faith, the blessed prayer of righteousness, the, the feet shod with the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, and, and, and what's going to happen? If you will do and use what God has equipped you with, you will stand. You're not going to fail. You're going to stand. But then the question becomes, what if we do fail? Sometimes we will fail tests. I've failed tests before, right? Well, guess what? You'll take the test again. But I want you to know, 1 John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, not us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, even with my, my own children, um, not some of my kids, but, but as I get older, sometimes when I, was, when, I, when I had my kids when they were first young and stuff like that, how could you do that? What were you thinking? <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like the end of the world type scenario. You're dealing with it, it's like the end of the world. Oh, what's going on? You know, it's like, you know, and as you get older, you begin to realize, yeah, you know, it's okay. We mess up. We all mess up. I've messed up. You're going to mess up. It's not the end of the world. I, I love you. Let's just get through this, reconcile. And you know what? Go on. Stand up. Stand up. Keep on going. Keep on fighting. Don't quit. I'm there with you. I'm going to help you. You're going to fail some tests, but, but you're going to succeed. But as a father, I'm there for you. I'm with you. It's okay. You may have a bad grade, but don't quit the class. Keep going. Well, I, I already messed up too bad. Well, then withdraw the class, but take it again. But you're going to get through this. We see that with college. It happens all the time with college. Oh, I messed up. You know, I, I blew the class. Well, I'll take it again. Right? Don't quit. Keep going. And eventually, if you keep going, you're going to get the degree. And the thing is, what I'm trying to tell you, eventually, if you don't quit, but continue to get up, continue to trust God, let God uh, love on you, let God get you up, let God go, you know, uh, uh, lead you through, you're going to overcome. You're going to be victorious. There will always be more opportunities. God is a good God who designed us to succeed and overcome. Eventually we will pass as long as we don't drop out of the class, out of the race, or out of our walk with God. What did Paul say? Forgetting what's behind, I press forward to what's ahead. Right? Pressing forward. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished. I finished. And I've kept the in other words, I've overcome. Now it's time to go be with the Lord. Right? And that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for you. So don't be surprised when you go through difficulties. Don't be surprised when you're going through uh, situations in life. But understand that that's normal. We all go through that. Right? But you win as long as you don't quit. How do I win?